I lost my best friend. I lost my sister. A Métis woman is strangled at her front door in the spring of 2002. It was a tough one right from the get-go. And there's a single suspect. And I said, why is this man still walking free? He was just a con man and a manipulator. I'm David Ridgen, and this is The Next Call, the case of Terry Dauphiny. Available now on the CBC Listen app and everywhere you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. I'd like to be remembered as an innovator. Um, I think it was General MacArthur said, you're remembered for the rules you break. And, you know, I've broken some rules to make this. I think I've broken them with, with logic and good engineering behind me, the carbon fiber and titanium. There's a rule you don't do that. Well, I did. Bit of hubris there from Stockton Rush. He was chief executive of OceanGate and the pilot of the Titan submersible. In June, he and five of his clients died when Titan imploded deep in the Atlantic on an expedition to explore the wreck of the Titanic. That drive for adventure, despite the risk of death, is a theme in Peter Rowe's new book. It is called, and I don't normally say this word on the radio, Out There. The batshit antics of the world's great explorers. Peter Rowe is a filmmaker and explorer, and he's had some close calls himself, including, as you'll hear, one that has affected his voice. He's also a fellow at the Royal Geographical Society, the Explorers Club, the Royal Canadian Geographic Society. He's with me in studio. Peter, good morning. Good morning, Matt. Do you have to be kind of out there to be an explorer? Probably helps. People like the man you just played a clip from are very much like a blast from the era that my book is about, Mm. 1800 to 1940. They did some mad things, utterly mad, utterly mad. Lots of really crazy people. But since World War II, we're in what people call the great modern age of exploration, which is a lot more sensible, usually. I want to talk about those mad things. Um, You have done some things as well. And I think people who are listening... We'll hear your voice. And I'm ask, I want to ask you about your voice because sure. your voice and the, the change in your voice is connected to one of your adventures, right? It is. And I have to apologize to your Don't apologize. listeners for it. Uh, but all I can suggest is maybe turn up the volume. But uh, what happened was I was, I've, I've climbed about 23 volcanoes and on one of them in Vanuatu in the South Pacific. Volcanoes produce sulfur dioxide, nitrogen sulfide, gases. They combine with rainwater or even your saliva to create sulfuric acid. And one of the, on one of these volcanoes, it burnt out one of my vocal cords. You've got two. I've only got one. So hence I have to speak like this. You are an adventurer to your core. How do you, how do you think you compare to some of the wild explorers that you document in this book. Well, I'm still alive. (laughs) (laughs) Which is a key and important factor. Yes. Today we have two huge advantages. One is GPS, which means we know where we are. The other was aviation, which allowed the world to see what the world looked like. Until then, these guys were just charging off into the wilderness, many of them with no knowledge of the dangers they were about to face. And uh, they were lionized by the public. They were the rock stars, the uh, sports stars of their day. They were featured in, in giveaway cards and cigarette packages. 
Why were so many of those explorers obsessed with Timbuktu in Africa? Back in the 1500s or thereabouts, something like 40% of Europe's gold came through Timbuktu. I mean, it's so difficult to get to, even today. What happened when you went to Timbuktu? What happened? It's so insanely hot there. The guy I was traveling with, the driver, believed that air conditioning burnt too much gasoline. So I just disappeared to the back seat, stripped off all my clothes, wrapped my turban, took my turban off, wrapped it around myself kind of loosely, and poured what water we had. It was by then too hot to drink. Just poured it over myself to try and cool down. That resulted in me being stained by the indigo blue dye that uh, was from my turban. Turned me into the same as the Tuareg, the blue man of the of the Sahara. Anyway, our driver was equally heat demented and drove us into a sand dune. There's nothing around, but always small boys show up. Then later, women, old men, they all started pushing us, pushing, pushing, pushing. Well, eventually I got out, started shouting demented, heat-crazed commands at them because I was convinced, having been stuck in many Canadian snowdrifts, that I knew how to get out of the African sand. Push your car out of the sand. Yeah. Like you were stuck in a snow a snowbank. Snowdrift. Eventually we did. We eventually made it to Timbuktu. But on the way out, mm. let me tell you a quick story. On the way out, when we left Timbuktu, we heard that there was bandits that had heard about us that were going to you know, steal our filming gear, steal our money, maybe kill us, who knows. So we put out the word that we were headed north. It wasn't true. We got up in very, very early before even the morning prayers rang out and went south instead. And we didn't see any bandits. We did see a wonderful sight of a salt caravan of about 60 camels. So we made it south safely out of there. Tell me about the Canadian North and this, this Canadian Arctic expedition of 1913. This was this attempt by explorers to claim part of Russia for Canada. Is that right? Yes, it is. Very nutty character, originally named Bill Stevenson. He was from Manitoba. He went to Harvard. He's now considered probably the greatest Canadian-born explorer. And um, while at Harvard, he changed his name to Viljamar Stevenson to give himself some faux Viking street cred. Stevenson decided that there's a big island owned by what was then Soviet Union, called Wrangell Island. It was the last home of the woolly mammoths. Today, still exists, still uninhabited, largely. One of the great homes of polar bears. He put together an expedition, four young men, to go up to claim this land for Canada. And uh, these four guys, they had the wrong passport. They were Americans. He had to get a, a Canadian. So he went to the president of the U of T, asked if 
this man knew of any bright, young, scientifically trained, tough, strong, would-be explorers. And, and the, the president said he had someone named Jack Crawford, young 24-year-old, something like that. And so he became the leader of the expedition. Off they went to Nome, Alaska. They chartered a ship, and they found a woman who became the hero of the expedition, an Inuit woman named Ada Blackjack. Ada and the four of them got up to Wrangell Island. They managed to live through two winters. But in the second winter, terrible, terrible, cold, an awful place, way up there. Jack Crawford decided they weren't going to make it through the winter. Not enough food. So he took one of the guys and they tried to walk out. They got frostbite. They couldn't make it. They came back. They decided they would try again. The three other Americans and Crawford left the remaining American under the under the hand of, uh, of Ada Blackjack. Poor woman was terrified of guns. She was terrified of polar bears. And she was also a bit terrified of these four white guys. But uh, off they went, never seen again. Stephenson got another ship, sent it to Wrangell Island, picked up Ada Blackjack. By now, the one last American had died on Wrangell Island. She was returned to Alaska. They put some more explorers on the island. Most of them were Inuit. Eventually, the Soviet government sent the Red October, a warship, in, smashed through the ice, picked up those people. They were sent back to Alaska. Stephenson sold the island to a couple of rubes from Alaska for $27,000 back in the 30s. He no more owned it than he owned the Brooklyn Bridge or the Rideau Canal. But these rubes bought it. In 2022, there was an election for the Senate seat in Alaska. The infamous Sarah Palin ran against a Democrat, Mary Belton, won. There was a third person running. Now, his election promises was that if he won, he was going to get Wrangell Island back for Alaska. Well, he only got 220 votes. You kind of have to be mad to be an explorer, right? I mean, that's kind of what comes out in this book, is that there are wild tales of people, but you sort of have to... You have to be willing to risk it all, and you have to be kind of willing to, to see the world in a bit of a different way, right? The quests they went on were mad. And drove them kind of mad, too. Yeah. Yes. Before I let you go, we're just about out of time. Tell me about Jacques Cousteau. Why is Jacques Cousteau the world's greatest explorer? Jacques Cousteau is a truly modern explorer. He not only created, he found a whole new world, unlike the rest of them, the underwater world. Not just for himself, but for millions of people. Not just through the films that he made, but by creating the technology that allowed it. He's the man. 
with this partner, Andre Bernier, who created SCUBA, the under self-contained underwater breathing apparatus. There's 40,000 new, let's call them explorers, who are certified as divers around the world every month. And it's because of Jacques Cousteau. Mm. And before he could even do that, he had to fight the Nazis to do it. Because, you know, first off, he had to become a diver in the in the French Resistance. Then he created the underwater housing for movie cameras. Then he created this fantastic and wildly popular television series and movies. He is great savior of the environment, of the ocean. Not that we've saved it, but he's done a great deal towards helping save it. Mm. So I have great admiration for him. Peter Rowe, it's great to meet you. Thank you very much. Thank you, sir. Peter Rowe is an explorer. His latest book is Out There, The Batshit Antics of the World's Great Explorers. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.